1: From our 901 mission street studios you are listening to the san francisco chronicle
2: welcome to the big event and a spotlight on bay area comedy i've interviewed a lot of legendary local comedians here paula poundstone w kamau bell greg proops but we don't do enough with comedians on the rise joey avery and andrew arolfo are two of the best comedians i've seen live in recent years Both promote their own shows locally, and they're on the Pier 69 comedy podcast, riffing on pop culture and the comedy life. But now they're at the point most good Bay Area comedians hit, where they need to go to L.A. or New York to take the next step. They did something that I thought was special, and they marked this leaving of the San Francisco comedy nest with an album recording at the Setup Comedy Club, showing off some of their best work. I invited Joey and Andrew on to talk about Bay Area comedy, how they got their start, and how they knew it was time to move on. But first I'm gonna play a couple of clips from the Pier 69 Junior Varsity album. Good time to note that this podcast is rated PG-13 today. I think I even used a profanity once during our interview, so I'm putting an explicit label on it. Here's Joey Avery talking about the sad fate of the D.A.R.E. anti-drugs program.
1: The whole idea of the D.A.R.E. program was, we're gonna teach teenagers that drugs are not cool. So we're gonna have a cop come in, and then everyone's going to sing songs together about how drugs are bad. Cause nothing says, well, I am with the cool kids. Like sing-alongs with a uniformed police officer. <laughs> That did not work. The only kids I ever saw wearing a D.A.R.E. shirt were the most astronomically stoned human beings
0: <laughs>
1: I have met in my entire life. I was, I was like, this boy's so high, he's just discovered irony. That is a high kid right there.
2: And here's Andrew Rolfo with an excellent riff about his hairstyle, which includes a man bun.
0: Well, I'm feeling pretty great right now, and I think it's because, despite what everybody in my life tells me, uh, I think my man bun is dope. Yeah, I think (laughs) it is so dope. Only because since I got this, people now avoid conflict with me, you know, right? And I think that's because when you have my face and then you rock this hair, people just assume, you have a sword, okay, yeah, (laughs) right? (laughs) <laughs> like when I got this cut, the lady was like, what do you want to look like? I was like, I don't know. Just let them know, let him know, let him know. I fight for honor, you understand? I was like, you know what? Just make me look like Mulan's boyfriend. Yeah, he was, he was dope, right? He was all about business. That's why I liked him, I think. Pier
2: 69 Junior Varsity with Avery Arolfo, Mark Smalls, and Dawood Namyar is on the Blonde Medicine label and available on streaming services. Joey Avery and Andrew Arolfo are coming up. We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Joey Avery, Andrew Arulfo, welcome to the San Francisco Chronicle. Oh, thank hey. you so much. Yeah, thank you for coming out here. Um, I've seen both you guys. I've heard your new album, uh, Junior Varsity, Pure 69. Did mm. I flip that? Did I get it wrong? You
1: did, but it's fine. We're open with however people want to say it, as yeah. long as they listen. Pier 69 is the group, Junior
0: Varsity is the album.
2: The group and the
0: podcast. Podcast. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
2: So... Um, Number one on iTunes, congratulations. Really? Like scrappy little backstory from what I know about it. But I want to ask you, um, you guys have been around comedy here. I've seen your names. I've seen both of you perform. Very awesome. And also promote shows. You've got the podcast. Mm-hmm. How'd the
1: album come about?
0: Me. That- yeah <laughs> i was gonna set that up but yeah the, the answer
1: is we were we were actually sitting i think we were sitting in my house or my apartment i should mm-hmm. say we were about to record the podcast and andrew was like let's do an album and we were like yeah. what <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: uh yeah i heard like a, a one of my like favorite comics kyle Kinane. he uh just did this album of just it was like 20 minutes not like a full thing where he, like burned a lot of material it was just him working on it and uh-huh. I was like oh this is cool and I actually liked it a lot so uh and it was, you could see it in the special where he worked everything out and I was like oh let's just do that with us four like so we're not technically burning material but it's like a preview until like what we're gonna be doing later
1: yeah yeah, and after he said it, it, was, it was not something that I thought about. Because like he said, I think comedians are trained to think, until you have your hour-long album that you can sell as a Netflix special, don't put anything out, don't burn anything. Um, but the second he said it, it started to make a lot of sense. Like, mm-hmm. we want to kind of put a timestamp on where we're at in our careers. We want to do this while all four of us are still in San Francisco, and it's a Bay Area comedy record, and it can kind of be emblematic of our time here. And uh, mm-hmm. and now it exists. Yeah. yeah,
2: talk to me about that timing. You say while you're still here, um, you guys have both been around for a few years, mm-hmm. uh, building your material and.
1: Is this like, you know, a breakup
2: album? I mean
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Andrew's cheating on us with more successful opportunities. <laughs> I, I technically live in LA now. I moved. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I still see you guys like I'm every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're still friends. Yeah. <laughs> we can we can be friends. Yeah. No, it's um it's just I think what happens a lot is there are a ton of like massive comics that Really, at one point in time, were Bay Area comics, and people don't necessarily think of Ali Wong as a San Francisco comic because mm-hmm. they don't usually put anything out until they're gone. And mm-hmm. not only is Andrew in LA now, but all four of us at some point, I think, feel like in the nature of the modern comedy industry, we will have to move to LA or New York at some point, and uh, still wanted to kind of represent our time here. Mm-hmm. Yeah is that going through your head the whole time? Like there's this timeline.
2: I'm going to get to a certain point. I'm going to put in a certain amount of hours. I'm going to get myself to a certain
1: level and then
2: I have to go. Uh,
1: I I don't know if it's exactly that people look at it in different ways, but yeah, there's, there's kind of a, depending on what your goals are, there seems to be a ticking time bomb on how long you can not be in one of the major areas. Cause once you start getting big opportunities they're all there unless you want to commute to you know LA four times a week it's yeah and that's kind of like what started happening
0: I was just like I had to be there for certain things so I was like okay well I guess it's, things are pulling me towards here so I'll just go
1: yeah I wish it wasn't true I'd, I'd love living here yeah, I, don't leave. I would, we're I all from we're all from the Bay Area yeah. so I think ingrained in us a little bit is the feeling that LA sucks you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well
2: W Kamau Bell and uh, Rita Moreno and I think that's it <laughs> well and he,
1: what he did is Kamau went and came back yeah and that's yeah. that's a move you can do but to reach I think a level of success you have to at least live in one of those places for a while yeah and then the goal would be come back I think Mm -hmm. Does Dana Carvey live like in Mill Valley? Yeah, he does, but uh, I interviewed him,
2: and uh, he is super cool. But what he did was he had his SNL career, and then he had his um, movie career that fizzled out, and then right around then his kids were a certain age, and he's real blunt about it. He's like, I just realized I did the math that I could do... X amount of corporate gigs a year, maybe forty, mm. and then travel to those and then raise my kids. Yeah. Right. And then I think even now, you know, the, he went back on Saturday Night Live a little bit ago. I think he's kind of pitching stuff a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, maybe trying to get back. But his kids uh, do
0: stand up. Yeah. Yeah. That's what
1: I heard. So he's trying to mix worlds. He's like, <laughs> you know what? If I can get them to just do my job, then I can raise my kids <laughs> and do stand up. Yeah. <laughs> So
2: the album, you, I'll put out an album. I mean, it's not that easy, is it? You've luckily got, uh, I've interviewed Dominic Del Bene. Yeah. I hope I'm pronouncing that yeah. right. Tell me yeah. if it's wrong. I think, and, so. uh, I think so. Blonde Medicine's the label. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, how do you go about that? I mean, is that well, an easy
0: thing to do? Um, It's easy in some ways, but uh, I was a huge fan of one of Dominic's albums that he recorded uh, by Nori Davis. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this album sounds great. It's just like, like, because in a lot of comedy albums, you'll hear like, oh, there's not, it sounds like they're bombing or it just doesn't sound like that great, like voice wise. But I heard his, I was like, this sounds amazing. And then I was like, maybe I can, a- I-, I told Joey, I was like, maybe I can just hit up Dom ask for like help, yeah. maybe just like point us in the right direction or whatever. And then Dom was like, no, let's just do it. Let's just like make this. And then he pretty much took over from there.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, that's it's, is it easy to put out an album? Probably no, but if you have a label that's been putting in the work to be able to churn out great records and you've been working on your, you know, act to a point over the last like seven years, essentially Mm -hmm. that you feel like you have a little bit of time to do it, then, you know, it can click together pretty fast, but there's a lot of work that just goes into being ready for it.
2: Now I'm, super old
1: so my <laughs> memories of
2: like comedy albums were like going to the record store and buying you know Eddie Murphy that album that had two songs on it uh-huh and uh, I was a little I was a little young for Richard Pryor but yep. you know I was out buying the albums it's different now people uh, you've got iTunes um and you guys were talking I hope I'm not giving away secrets about no. maybe you know serious or or opportunities mm-hmm. like that yeah how does it work now I mean is this album how do people consume it
1: yeah, the the move these days is make something and just blast it everywhere you possibly can. So for us, it's it's on Spotify, it's on uh, iTunes and Apple Music, it's gotten some plays on Sirius um we're actually you'll you'll appreciate maybe we'll send you one we're actually getting some vinyls made so that you can buy the record um, because it's funny any of my friends that wanted to buy it i was like well you can buy the digital copy or they're like no no no, i, I will stream anything or i'll buy a vinyl that seems like yeah the move. <laughs> yeah
2: nice well excellent
1: vinyl i'm loving that we'll have cassettes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we can, you can play it in your Walkman We'll make some CD-ROMs Maybe
2: So tell me about that night uh, Recorded at the setup uh, This is a comedy mm-hmm. club from my point of view Kind of just seemed to pop up out of nowhere Kind of like Doc's Lab Or somewhere that um, maybe is in a space That's been used mm-hmm. for comedy but it's a new name Tell me about the setup and tell me about that night
1: Yeah The, the setup, a fun backstory for the setup Is that you know that is a place that comedy has actually existed through four different owners so that the address mm-hmm. 222 Hyde Street has had comedy since before we were even in the scene Mm -hmm. i actually ran a show there at one point there have been open mics there and it keeps shutting down and it'll go away and everyone's like oh it's so sad the setup's gone or well two to do Hyde street is gone and then a new owner will take over and they'll say we're not doing comedy we're not a comedy club and then they can't get business and we're like what if you tried comedy And it just (laughs) comes back but it was generally a a so-so uh room it uh you know medium level of, of, uh, shows being produced well until, Mm -hmm. uh, Richard Sarvate and Abhayad Nadkarni, the guys who run the setup took over and really Mm -hmm. took it to the next level.
0: Yeah. Uh, that was like my fourth, like open mic. I remember people would go there and it'd just be terrible and nobody, nobody would, (laughs) if you were to tell me that that spot is going to be the best show or one of the best shows in San Francisco, I'd be like, nah, you're crazy. Yeah. But
1: they they saw that the room had a lot of potential. It has everything you want in a comedy club. It's dark. It's a brick basement mm-hmm. downstairs. It feels like a New York room. It's small. The crowds, it feels hot because everyone's like hot in terms of a lot of laughter, not just mm-hmm. heat. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. like everyone's boxed in. So when a joke hits, you can usually kind of like feel it reverberate yeah. around the room. And that's why it's become... A uh, great place to record albums, and and Dominic went and like set up, and he's got mics wired all through that place so that you can get all the all the sound that you want.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of variety. You guys have different styles. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dawood Namyar, who's not here, did I, ha- hit, that? Did I did. hit that? You did. Oh, you nailed yeah. it. You yeah. nailed <laughs> it. Thank you. Um, he does a little bit of crowd work. Yep. Uh, yeah, it seems like I can tell that's kind of probably part of his thing. Uh, Mark Small's kind of low key. Uh, mm-hmm. Comes out, admits that he might be stoned. I don't know if he was or wasn't, but <laughs> he, he's working he that. Yeah, he was. And, yeah. Uh, and, and you guys are like the the, the beginning and the, the anchor man. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys, when you got together, was that something that you were looking at your chemistry or are you just four mm-hmm. guys who like, like each other? and?
1: Oh, in terms of the four of us yeah. kind of like uniting? The,
0: the album and the podcast. Yeah. Um, I, I I think we when we first met each other we we're all pretty similar like on what we like like outside of comedy I felt like we were we could just be good friends.
1: Yeah, I, well, so Andrew, Mark, and Dawood grew up together. They, like, you, they know each other. They grew up together in the East Bay. So you have you were friends before comedy. You brought Mark to his first uh, open mic. I was friends
0: that, right? with Mark. So I've been friends with Mark since I was, like, 13. Right. And
1: then I met Dawood in comedy. Oh, okay. Like, the first that. week See, We don't comedy. even know each other. We're <laughs> actually not friends at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think it's it's tough. Like, I started doing comedy, and I feel like, you know, I've made a ton of great friends from doing comedy and there's all sorts of different kinds of people but you kind of like when you're looking at the comics that you're a fan of you see these comics and they all seem to have these really close-knit friends groups of other comics and they feed off each other and they do shows together and it's something that You know, I feel like I was just, you're kind of like looking for it and hoping it happens. And then it just Mm kind of naturally clicked with us. And we hang out outside of comedy, which is not, you know, not all comics mix. Sometimes hanging out with comics can be exhausting Mm because everyone's trying to get the last punchline or you have a different like chemistry. And, feel like we all just kind of got along yeah i i review movies and after the movie if i i don't i like
2: run away because if you hang out with other movie critics they're Uh. all just trying their material (laughs) they're like
1: testing out what they're gonna write on their review and then (laughs) i'm worried i'm gonna hear it and repeat it and it's it's tiring too it's like a performative conversation sometimes and you need people who can kind of shut it off yeah i uh it's interesting this is gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna make some controversy here on the date book but uh, like when you first start doing comedy it's kind of interesting if you have a certain personality type like it's like the it's like the opposite of high school like it feels like comedy is actually dominated by people with a nerdier sensibility Mm -hmm. and if you Mm -hmm. like kind of like feel like you were like a cool kid you are like an outcast so it flips on you and I feel like when I saw these guys, I was like, I think I might have hung out with these guys before I started doing comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <clears throat>
2: Seems like like hustling is something that people respect too. Um, both of you guys put on your own shows and, mm-hmm. and hustle, and and uh, you know, I get emails from you, Joey. You let me know what you're doing. That's mm-hmm. a good move. Um, I wanted to ask you about Bay Area comedy because we were talking a little bit about this um, before I turned the mics on. Uh, At the Chronicle here, we just bemoan, you know, things that close and things that are gone. And and we made a big deal about the punchline, and I'm super glad it's still around. But, uh, you know, we kind of framed it like if this is gone, this huge thing's going to be missing. But I've noticed with comedy, it seems like... It's almost like when things go away, it just makes the comedians hustle a little bit more. And maybe even that kind of makes things get better. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the comedy... Club shows up in a luggage store, or a, yeah. you know, a, a sporting goods store, or, or wherever yeah. they can find yeah. it. I want to ask you guys about that. I mean, how do you feel about you know this kind of generation of comedians and and what hustle plays into that?
0: <laughs> well, the cool thing about comedy, you don't even need anything to do it. I mean, I guess you need a microphone, but you can just go... You need other people. I guess, but... (laughs) You missed!
1: How often do you do sets in your room? Oh, how often do we do sets where there's one person in the audience? (laughs) I guess I should have said, you need other person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I would... My perspective on that is, like, comedy does find a way, and comedy shows... Whether or not big institutions are there or not, they will pop up in random places mm-hmm. because they'll be started by people who can't get on that big stage. Like it took us a long time to pass at the punchline. Pass yeah. means you know get authorized to work there essentially. Um, and so you know throughout that whole time, we were doing comedy in random places. And mm-hmm. like I mentioned, that that room that's now the setup, four different ownerships. Comedy keeps finding a way, but. I still think that actually doesn't negate the importance of the punchline to the San Francisco scene and to comedy in general. Um, I mean, Dave Chappelle put it best on the steps of City Hall when he was basically saying, this is a special room. And obviously, you know, uh, everyone at Live Nation, the people who run the punchline are an amazing group and they'd start something awesome and exciting somewhere else. But there really is, like something to a room that has that magic because for Mm -hmm. every punchline and for every setup there are tons of other local shows or uh comedy clubs that have tried with the same amount of money and everything and it didn't capture that magic and when you have a special room like that that has history and you know the room works i think that's worth fighting for whether or not comedy is going to find a way yeah for sure
2: yeah, I, I remember the old Cobbs, um, again, how old I am. I went to the Cobbs, yeah. like, I think, like two Cobbs ago and saw <laughs> Dana Gould and Will Durst and um, all that crew. And when they moved it, it was the same comics coming through. It was the same, you know, two-drink minimum, probably the same staff. But they added a balcony, and it's like the, the – the, the laughs just like went up into the ceiling. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah,
1: yeah. I heard that the old cobs was amazing. Yeah. I, I never, I never went there. The yeah. new Cobbs kicks ass, and it's a big, huge, awesome room. But you know, it's you, you better bring the heat because it's a big room, and you have to fill laughs all the way up to yeah. the top. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: <clears throat> well, I, I love asking comedians, like, what's their week like? And, um, you know, I, I don't know if people realize certainly people who um, go to a club once a month, how much hustle is involved. Um, I wanted to ask you guys just this week, you know, what have you got coming up? Um, and, and, and how do you prepare for a show like this for an album like this? I mean, what are you doing to put in that time to get this 15 minutes each on an album
1: that you can really
2: point to and say, hey, check this out, this is me.
1: Yeah, Um, so my week this week, so every Tuesday uh, we have our own show that we do at Pizza Hacker, which is like, it's a pizza place, there's a little attic upstairs and we run a free show where we basically go and churn out our new material. And then we usually record our Pier 69 podcast in my house after that. Mm -hmm. So that's a day of, like, show up to work at 9 a.m., work till 5, do something, do a show at 8, do a podcast at, you know, 10 to 11.30, and then wake up and do it again. Yeah. Uh, But then Wednesday, I'm in Oakland. Thursday, I'm at the setup. Friday, Half Moon Bay. Yeah. what are you doing in Half Moon Bay? There's, uh, I didn't know there was comedy in Half
2: Moon Bay. I mean, yeah. Not putting down
1: Half Moon Bay. No. Yet. It's a, it's a great, it's, it's 50% of Full Moon Bay, but it's a strong day. Uh, uh, there's a show that uh, Phil Griffiths, uh, another local comic, puts on at a brewery, Hop Dogma Brewery. Uh, and it's it's the great thing about getting out of the city actually is when you're just a little bit out and you go to like people's hometowns where there isn't a live event every night yeah. they come out in force like it's a yeah. it's a big night and the laughs are big and they're excited to have you it's a really fun time if anyone's ever down there and wants to check that out I, I recommend that show
0: right. yeah no, definitely I'm, yeah.
1: I'm from Alameda and comedy's
2: starting to like eke into Alameda yeah. and I'm yeah. loving it cause I got kids I mean yeah. I can't get away too easily in mm-hmm. Alameda, I can pour a roadie and just walk exactly. down. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's what you, you want. Know, I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to pay for a lift so come yeah. to Alameda, both of you. What <laughs> about you, Andrew? What's, what's your week like? You, you're you with Irene too tonight. Yeah. Again, uh, who you guys work together frequently for yeah. collaborators.
0: So yeah, we Irene and I have been real good friends f- since we started comedy. Uh, we've been running a show at the Starline Social Club in Oakland for like three years and yeah, there's, there every Monday, and then I'm with Joey at Pizza Hacker every Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, I run a show at The Laundry in San Francisco, uh, in The Mission. And yeah, that's... And that's all for a guy who lives in LA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 I don't even live here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, You were just
2: on James Corden? Yeah. Can yeah. you tell, tell me a little bit about that? How'd that, how'd that how does that happen? That was it's amazing. Uh,
0: it, it's, it was kind of weird how I got it. Um, so I filmed this one set in LA and then, uh, and I almost didn't film it. Irene was like, hey, film this set because it's gonna be good. <laughs> and I was like, ah, I don't, I don't really want to. And then uh, I filmed it and then my manager was like, was in the audience and he was like, that's a, I think we could use this for something. I was like, I guess, it's, whatever. So that night we just sent it to the cordon booker just to like get feedback or just like notes to be like, okay, maybe he should prep, like do this later on. And then he, they were, <laughs> they emailed us back to like, Yeah, we'll have them. It's good. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Whoa, what? And these, yeah, they're like, Yeah, just do these four bits, and uh, you're fine. And then, yeah, and then uh, for months, they we they would email them like, Can we come on this month? They're like, No, next month. And then we just keep following up, and I just ran that set to the ground. (laughs) Just every night, just that that four minutes, and then. Joey was there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I came, I came down. It was actually a really fun week in L.A. because I, I yeah. went to to Andrew's Corden taping, and then, you know, we, speaking of hustle, we went to an open mic after that. I worked <laughs> on some new material. He came yeah. with me. Yeah. Then we, we had a party at his house with a bunch of comics, and then uh, the next night, Kevin Kamia, who's another Bay Area comic who... Coincidentally, also like Andrew's Filipino was on Colbert, yeah. so then we went and partied at his house. We were like, Bay Area comedy's taking over right now. Big week oh, yeah. for us. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. But it it was just great. It was a it was a crazy experience. Um, James Corden, nicest dude. So nice. So nice. That's um, good to hear because yeah. you never know. Yeah. 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 He he was, he was like hanging out with us in the green room, just talking to us. That was so much fun. Um, he made the experience real good for. Me, like, he, like, I was behind the curtain waiting to go up, and then he, he set it up. He's like, it's 4.30 in the afternoon. Like, to the audience, he's like, "This 4.30 in the afternoon. Four, nobody wants to, like, this is the hardest thing for a comic to do. Uh, you guys are sober. Maybe not. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but this is not the ideal situation for comedy. So what I need you to do is just give him more energy than you normally would at any club. He's going to be great. And then I was like, oh, okay. He set it up real well. Yeah,
1: he was, really, he was really nice and great. And then when I saw him do that, I was kind of like, God, I'm a Corden fan now. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah, he's so nice. I'll, I'll represent this guy forever because you can set up a, a varying level of um, you know, success for comics and the environment's super important. And I won't discuss all of them at length, but you no. hear stories about different late-night shows. And let's just say yeah. some of them are not good. Some of them you don't even meet the host because you're doing it on a separate night and not in the same room. And so it can just be very different depending on uh, where you go. But he went out of his way to make the experience great for him and fun for us. I just, I didn't have to do anything. I just drank. (laughs) <laughs> it's free, free drinks. Makes, it, drink, makes it feel so good to hear like someone who you think is cool being cool. Yes. It's yeah, yeah. Not, it's not always that. way No, that's no, if anything I, that uh, 2018 and 2019 news reports have taught us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. our heroes are not always what we think okay. they now are. I can tell you some stories about people who have their photo on the wall here. <laughs> I would love not, to not do Not on, that.
2: not on there. <laughs>
1: uh, no, I, I had. We'll uh, air it on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got nothing to lose, baby.
2: I had uh, John Stewart came to do Clusterfest and they told me like 2 days before, "Hey, will you interview him on stage?" I'm sure like 8 other people Whoa. dropped out. <laughs> and I'm scared. I mean, yeah. like, you know, in front of a lot of people, but it's John Stewart and we had done a phone interview for a story I did like a previous so I had talked to him and he was great. But and I just showed up. I'm sure I was like sweating and looked totally scared <laughs> and he like it's like he sensed me across the room that I was hurting. Yeah. And just walked <laughs> over and was like, "Hey man, you can ask me whatever you want, it's gonna work out, we're gonna have a good time, just don't worry about it, have a good time. And I was like, I like that guy, like, yeah. till he could he could do the most heinous crime, Hell and yeah. I'm gonna be like, no, that guy's cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's a good guy. That's really. great, John, yeah. if you're listening and you got anyone on your kill list, Peter's gonna be in your corner. <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing he could do.
1: Yeah, that's great to hear. And it's, I think it hurts the most when it's people that, you know, you have a sense that they're nice. Like, you, you get that from John. You assume that. But when you find out it's not true, then you're like, oh, wow, this person's really talented at playing a character that makes me think they'd be nice. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And I
2: mean, present company excluded, comedians can go either way. And yeah, I've had you know, people I who I thought were going to be a pain in the ass and they're great. And then I've had people like I had a Jerry Seinfeld experience that I couldn't watch Seinfeld for 10 years. Oh, you know? no. So I don't know. It can go both ways. Wow. Yeah. And you, you don't you know share that like experience. Point. Yeah. I mean, I think people might have even heard that on this podcast, but. uh Really, earlier in my career, he was doing B Movie. uh, Uh And (laughs) At the peak of his comedic influence, he was
1: playing an insect, yes. (laughs) And uh,
2: I had forgotten, my editor had committed me to do a video interview before the print interview. So I show up and they're like, I'm doing like Entertainment Tonight interview for the Chronicle's new website video Mm. format. And I had never done it before, I'm like, You know, where do I put my legs? You know, I mean, I just, and there's all these people watching me. I'm not used to that in an interview. And they've got the, so he kind of gave me some shit early on. And then I didn't roll with it like I should have. I just like kind of went to the next question and looked scared. (laughs) And then he he just pounced, you know, and it was, it was the worst five minutes. But here's the worst part. (laughs) It sounds hilarious. So I'm all done. Uh, I remember like, going to like the eighth question I had and I had no questions left. And I'm like, so bees, why bees? I mean, I just like <laughs> yeah. I nothing.
0: Why
1: bees? Yeah. <laughs> why bees? They make the honey. Yeah. Everybody loves a bee.
0: <laughs>
2: <He> <laughs> buzz, that buzz. Nice. That's, what I, that's what I wanted. That's not what I got. I think he just gave me a blank stare. So when that was over though, I, I get up to leave like absolutely horrified. And then I had to wait another hour and interview him again cuz i still had the print interview oh, so i had to go n- back no. and then he was fine uh, uh, oh. it was almost like he just like had to you know torture me in front of these people and uh, then he got
1: dominance and then
2: he was fine for the print interview oh uh, that's it. you know the interesting
1: thing about that just thinking in my comedic brain which leaps at all times to defend comedians is like He just got on a bit and he was just, his whole thing was, well, okay, if this guy's being awkward and I can make fun of him, then you just like keep hammering it. It's like, it's like when you, it's the same experience as when uh, like a heckler speaks out and you're just like, okay, I am, they're the heel and I'm just going to keep, this is my well of comedy and it just keeps playing off that. And he probably didn't even, you know, mean to do it, but it was just his instinct. Were people
0: laughing in the room? You no, I. I mean, <laughs> everyone's like,
2: "There's still." Stop, of, Jerry. <laughs> a couple of the PR people who were there were just like, "Oh," <laughs> and we still like. I, I asked him, "I'm like, Mike, you know, you don't have that." like video, do you? Because they sent me the DVDs and I never looked at them. <laughs> um, I don't think I threw them away, but I never looked at them. I'm like, Mike, do you have that? Because I'm thinking like blackmail situation. He's like, I'm not telling you.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, I want to track these DVDs yeah. down. Man, it was
2: so bad. I had no defense mechanism. <laughs> like right now, if one of you started calling me names or something, I could stand my ground. I'm, I'm ready for that situation. I was not in my element <laughs> at all. I mean, it, it, was, it was just the most vulnerable I've ever seen. <laughs> and, and that includes. I had some bad years at junior high. <laughs> so, Didn't uh, we all? Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to end. Um, I listened to the latest Pier Sixty Nine, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna send people there to hear the better version of this conversation because I'm not gonna connect <laughs> as well as you guys do. But you were talking about stand-up comedy movies and the Joker mm-hmm. and. Andrew, you have not seen the no. Joker yet. You were not on this edition of the podcast, okay. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to ask you guys: stand-up comedy movies, what
1: who, who gets it right and who gets it wrong? And it sounds like a lot of people have gotten it wrong. Yeah, it's it's kind of a known and common occurrence that stand-up movies get it wrong. And I think mm-hmm. the reason for that is because it's just stand-up's hard enough to do in the stand-up environment. So if you're mm-hmm. a really, really world class stand-up and you have a good bit, you're gonna do it on your special. You're probably not gonna do mm-hmm. it on a movie. Um but I think The Joker really is a great example of uh, of a movie that got it right. It's not about stand-up, but the stand-up mm-hmm. scenes features Sam Morrill and Gary Goldman, who are world-class stand-ups in, you know, I guess Gotham, which is basically New York. They are New York. They just, I think they just made Sam get a big mustache or something. So it was of a different era, but they had people who knew what they were doing on stage. It was, and the Joker as a character was, is a relatively accurate depiction of, uh, not all, but some of the people that you do find at open mics. Yeah. Not that they mm-hmm. become murderous supervillains, but that they're a, a little off and their uh, perception of how the comedy journey uh, may be or is going can be a little skewed. Yeah. And so seeing that in a movie was just, as a comic, one of the first times that I thought, man, this is so relatable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what's, what's worked for you? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen it in a movie and you liked it? Stand-up? Yeah. Uh,
0: Funny People was pretty good. Yeah. I liked it there. The the thing about stand-up, like, trying to, like, show stand-up in in movies is just, like, there's so, stand-up takes so much time, Yeah. like, in in real life. It's, like, a 10-year process. So, like, to try to fit that into, like, one movie, it's, like, it's going to take, that's pretty hard.
1: Yeah. I I would love to know, because all stand-ups complain about it. Like, if you get an actor who's trying to play a stand-up, I think in general people don't like it although there's so many people doing stand up now that you know you probably can find someone who can do both yeah but i wonder how like major league pitchers react to like kevin costner you know, in.
2: <laughs> uh, well, I mean, journalists, journalism movies, I sit around going, nobody's desk is that clean. <laughs> uh, no, no no copy editor gets their own office. Yeah. Know, that's never been kissed by uh, Drew Barrymore. Yeah. So I, I see, I see <laughs> where it doesn't hit and where it does. Um, I've only watched comedy, but I thought Don't Think Twice, the Mark uh, berbiglia film, it was about improv. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, same. Mike
1: Berbiglia also made Sleepwalk with me. Um, Um, which is about stand-up, but it's his story. And so he's a perfect example of someone who gets it right as Mm -hmm. well because he's actually done these things and he understands the life of the people. Mm -hmm. I think probably what happened with, was it, I never even watched it, but Punchline? Is that the name of a movie? Yeah, people like Sally
2: Field and Tom Hanks. Yeah, people
1: love to make fun of that. I haven't even seen it, but Mm -hmm. my assumption is it was made by someone being like, "Comedy's hot. Let's make the movie." Where now, you know, Mike Birbiglia makes an independent film about his journey to becoming a famous stand-up about his life. Like, as long as he doesn't suck at filmmaking, which he doesn't, it's gonna Mm -hmm. ring more true than you know MGM being like, "Let's get it, baby." (laughs) There's
0: also that crashing show, P. Holmes. Yeah.
1: I kind of tried. I
0: mean, I thought it was pretty good, but it's just everything's so fast forward. I like can't really yeah be Ep- into it. Episode
1: four, he's like sleeping on Sarah Silverman's couch and opening for Rachel Ray, and you're yeah. like, that's not how that's, comedy yeah, works. That's like two weeks. I've been the- doing this. I would love to sleep on Sarah Silverman's <laughs> couch and open for Rachel Ray. It's been seven years, damn it. <laughs>
2: well, I I enjoyed that conversation on the podcast. I like how the podcast you'll you'll like. Be kind of joking around and then sort of get into a serious discussion about comedy and uh, I haven't listened to many but yeah. that seems to be a common occurrence from what I've heard so yeah the,
1: the, the general the general premise of it is to just have it be the most informal possible thing and it is the four of us sitting down and talking after a show and mm-hmm. we try and make it not all about comedy because people don't want to hear it but we also try not to restrict anything that we say on, on any topic and so if it, if it flows there that's where it yeah. goes mm-hmm. well right on Pier 69 um, the album is Pier
2: 69 colon Junior Varsity with yeah. Joey Avery Andrew Arolfa who are with me Mark Smalls and Dawood Namyar. I'm getting better each time you're nailing yeah. it It's good and uh, people can download that iTunes wherever yep uh, Dominic Delbeni is going to put out a couple vinyl yep and uh, yeah Congratulations, guys. Thanks for having us, us, Peter. My pleasure. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guests, Joey Avery and Andrew Rolfo. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob, Supervising producer is King Kaufman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album, Community. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com podcasts with an S.